It's a hockey conversation, but also about a career living around a hockey legend. When your dad is the, you know, really one of the most famous hockey announcers in the history of Canada, to be his son and then also get into the business and to carve out your own great reputation. Uh, John Kelly is our guest, voice of the St. Louis Blues, TV voice of the St. Louis Blues. And I didn't know his whole story because we all knew Dan Kelly came here in the late 60s, so I did the math. I'm like, John would have been a little kid, basically, at that point. But I've never really talked to him about it, either on the TV, radio, at any any moment. We've never really gotten into his whole background. And I was curious about it. And John is now well-established as an outstanding announcer for the Blues, one of the top NHL announcers. Tough sport. I mean, can you imagine when you're calling a game? It's one. I've always said this. Like if in baseball, here they come to bat. Who's up to bat? Here's Bill Smith. He hit 400 last week. Blah blah. You know, boom boom. In football, here's your quarterback. He's under hockey. It's like non-stop, and the names the names are impossible. And John does a great job with it. So the Kill Coin Conversation is with John Kelly, longtime voice of the Blues, but also about growing up in a hockey family. His dad, Dan Kelly, uber famous, not just in St. Louis, but throughout Canada, and uh, replacing Ken Wilson, which was an awkward time in terms of Blues history. And John's just a very gracious guy and a good representation of the entire organization. A fun conversation. I always say that fun conversation, but I think a lot of these are, and we sort of pride ourselves on that. Coming to you from the Pasta House Studios, I was at the Ledoux location earlier this week, right there on Ledoux Road, conveniently enough, off 170. Last weekend, we were at the one on Manchester Road near Weidman, grabbing the to-go meals. What a hit it is, whether it's Masticioli or Alfredo. Feeds a family of four, comes with the bread, the toasted ravioli, the salad. If you have not been to the pasta house lately, either the to-go or in-person, beautiful bar area at the Weidman location, also Ledoux, really sharp restaurants, just the whole layout is sharp, and uh, the food's outstanding. Pastahouse.com is where you can check out the menu and the location near you. So we're in the Pasta House Studios Presented by our longtime sponsors, Triad Bank, Appliance Discounters, B&G Tuck Morning, and Marie DeVilla Senior Living. We appreciate all of you supporting our great sponsors, whether you're in the market for appliances, a bank, senior living, or Tuck Morning. Make sure you support the sponsors, as they always say. But let's get to it. We taped this down at uh, Enterprise Center right before there was a game. Checking in with John Kelly. So I have to apologize to John in advance because Bob Costas always says he goes on radio shows in Tulsa or Des Moines and they start out with his first job and he says, wait a minute, is this going to be a Wikipedia interview where you go through my entire career? So it's not that, but I've, I never have heard the story myself when you came to St. Louis because you would have been in what, third or fourth grade when your dad took the Blues job? Yeah, I was eight years old. I was in third grade and... Um, we moved to Creve Corps, and uh, I went to Fernridge Elementary School and um, loved it. You know, I had never been in the United States as a kid, and uh, my father spent some time here, actually, during the 1968 final. He was working for Hockey Night in Canada, 
and then he got hired um, in the offseason for the second year, and then the family moved here, and the rest is history. I've always wondered, what did the family think when your dad, I mean, it's not just moving cities, you're leaving a country, and I know we're pretty similar to Canada, but did the family say, this sounds great, Dad, or did everybody say, what are we, we're, we're doing what? Well, you know, you're so young at that time. You're, you're eight years old, and I, I guess something like that, looking back, it probably was really exciting to go to a new city and a new place. You know, I do remember, though, leaving on the plane to come to St. Louis. Uh, my dad moved here in, in the fall when the season started, and our house wasn't ready until uh, December. So we flew here in December, and it was a little bit emotional. And I'm not an emotional guy, but, you know, our, our family came to the airport, grandmas and aunts and cousins and stuff. So it was, looking back, it was a pretty emotional time, but it was really exciting, and we were excited to come to a new city. Why did your dad want to take that job? Because he was a staff, he was a big name in Canada. He wasn't doing team stuff, right? Just network only at that point? Well, yeah, in Hockey Night in Canada, Martin, is that's that's the big deal in Canada. I mean, that's 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 the pinnacle for any hockey broadcaster. But the the key was he was the intermission host, pregame host. He wasn't doing a lot of play-by-play. He, he did some play-by-play on national radio in Canada. I think he did a Sunday night game. And coming up as a young broadcaster, he did junior hockey and things like that. So play-by-play was his passion. So even though he was on hockey in Canada, he didn't have the ideal job. And, and there were some guys there that were legendary announcers that weren't going anywhere anytime soon. So when the NHL expanded from 6 to 12 in 67, um, he had a couple of different offers. And as it turned out, he came to St. Louis. But the main reason was he wanted to be a play-by-play announcer in the NHL. And this is what happened, and and that's where it took him. And when did John Kelly say, you know, I I wouldn't mind doing this. How young were you? I'm sure you grew up in the booth, more or less. We always hear these stories where Joe Buck says, I grew up in the booth. Were you calling the game when you were 10, 11, 12 to yourself? Not really, um, but I would listen every night. And if I had a dollar, Martin, for every fan that came up to me and said, John, when I was a young person, I would lay in bed at night with a transistor radio um, in my bed at night, listen to your father and Gus Kyle, I could retire right now. And I did the same exact thing. I had a black transistor radio, and I'd listen every night. And then as I got older, as a teenager, you know, the broadcasting fire was really lit in me. I remember the first time I really started to to broadcast um, into a tape recorder was in seventh grade at Parkway North Junior, and the ninth grade basketball team was really good. And my buddies and I would take a tape recorder and sit on the floor and announce the game together. As a matter of fact, one of the players on that ninth grade team was a guy by the name of Terry Donnelly, who went on to play for Michigan State in that epic game against Larry Bird in Indiana State. He was a Magic Johnson's teammate. He yeah. was Magic Johnson's teammate. And I remember him. He was a really good player. So, anyways, it started then. And then, you know, as, as I got older, you know, 15, 16, I would spot for my dad at football games and stuff like that and sit with him in the booth at, at the old arena. And, and then I really started to say, man, this is a cool job. And, and obviously my dad was great at what he did. And, and that's where it really started. And he did more than hockey. You said spotting. He was doing football on CBS. He did the Grey Cup one year. Did he do yep. Cardinal baseball, Mizzou football? I'm running through all these in my head that I looked up. I didn't realize he did a ton of sports. Yeah, he was. A, I think he was a very underrated football announcer. As you said, one year he did CBS sports games. Uh, he was one of the 
the guys that w- was doing weekly games for CBS, but he did Mizzou, Big Red, for years. He did baseball, as you said. As a matter of fact, he was part of the broadcast team in 82 when they won the World Series, and he got a World Series ring because right. he was part of the crew. Um, obviously, he never got a Stanley Cup ring because right. the Blues didn't win, um, but, yeah, he, he was part of the baseball uh, crew back in 82. That had to be a blast for a Canadian guy, right, to end up being a baseball announcer in the U.S. for the Cardinals. I mean, whether it was a major role or not, that had to be a kind of a kick for a hockey guy. Yeah, and he knew that the Cardinals were the – the top dog here in St. Louis um, back then and to this day, obviously. Uh, but, you know, c- coming up in Canada, he did a ton of football. He was a really good football announcer, as I said. As you said, he did a great cup, which is the Super Bowl of the CFL. I don't know if he ever did baseball as a young announcer in Canada, um, but he was the backup guy um, on KMOX. So when, when the Cardinals televised the game, and back then they would only do, you know, maybe 40, 50 games, um, you, you know, Mr. Buck or Shannon would slide over to TV, so they needed another radio announcer. So that's when my dad was summoned to do the radio games. And when you were a kid, or maybe even teenager, when you're saying, I love this, did you think, hey, one day I want to do the blues? Or do you say, I just want to be an NHL guy? Um, really just a professional announcer, I would say. Um, but I loved hockey. I played hockey as a kid up until I was 18. I wanted to be an NHL announcer. And I never really said, oh, I want to be a blues announcer. Um as a matter of fact, when my father, um, you know, before he passed away, he had said to me when I was in the American Hockey League, he said, why don't you come and, you know, work with me a little bit in St. Louis? And, and I, I said, no, I'd really like to wait and get another opportunity really on my own. I didn't want to have someone just hand me a job, um, even though it was St. Louis, and I love St. Louis, I love the Blues, um, and, and that's what happened. I got a job with the Rangers um, unfortunately, the year my father got sick. But, no, it wasn't the goal is to work for the Blues. It was really more to work in the NHL. Did you guys do one game that year, that fall? Yeah. Um, the, I, again, I was doing the Rangers uh, radio that year, sort of the backup announcer to Marv Albert, um, and he missed so many games. I actually did probably 50 games that year. So the Rangers played in Philadelphia in early November, and then the Blues happened to play there two nights later, and I did not have another game. So my father called me and said, why don't you stick around and and come to the game and sit with me and things like that. And he was at the time already sick, Martin. He he had begun his treatment. So I knew that um, time was precious. So I I went up there and he didn't tell me before the game that I was going to announce. And he said to me before the game, why don't you do the second period? And it was a big thrill. And he did the color. And uh, the ironic thing about that game is the Blues won the game. It was their first win in 34 games in Philadelphia at the Spectrum, going back to that big brawl they had in in 1972, I believe, and they won that game. And that actually turned out to be the last road game my father ever broadcast. Were you emotional that night, knowing he wasn't well? I mean, did, did it set in that this may be kind of a special family moment? Well, I wasn't emotional at the time. Um, it was just a big thrill to, to do the game. And I didn't know. I mean, he had just started his treatments, Martin. Um, we knew it was bad, though. Um, so I, I didn't look at it like, oh, this is going to be his final road game or things like that. Um, but I knew he was quite sick. As a matter of fact, at the old Spectrum, they didn't have an elevator to the press box. You had to walk up all these flights of stairs. And I remember walking up there with my dad for the game, and he'd walk up a couple of flights and then he would have to pause for a minute or so, catch his breath, walk up two more flights, et cetera, till he got to the top. And I sort of thought 
in hindsight, after that game, I said, you know, he's a dedicated guy because he didn't have to be here tonight to broadcast this game. Everyone knows he's sick. The Blues were great to him. They helped him with his treatments, yet he wanted to go to that game, and I guess he wanted to, to work with me that one night. So, But I remember that that particular uh, moment when we were walking up the stairs, how, how fatigued he was. You know, as great as the new arenas are, and I'm the first to complain when they don't have all the amenities, and they've done a great job at Enterprise Center. It needed a revamp, and it's great, and the facilities are great. So it's hypocritical, but I still kind of miss the dingy old places, too. I mean, you probably did games at Chicago Stadium and, of course, Joe Lewis. Do you miss those old barns at all? Yeah, I really do. I I think the biggest thing for me as a broadcaster are the sight lines, and they're much better in the old buildings because uh, the buildings were steeper and the press boxes weren't at the very top. I mean, the press box at the old arena was fantastic. It It came out from above the upper deck, and it hung down. And you really were just basically above the, 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 the yellow seats there, the, the, the midsection. So you had a great view of the ice. And in addition, you know, the, the organs in the old arenas and uh, the arena itself was so loud. Uh, not that this building isn't fantastic. And as you said, you, you needed upgrades in, in the facilities and things like that, the clubs and the restrooms and everything for the fans. But um, as far as sitting there watching the games and the entertainment in the building and the excitement with the crowd, you just couldn't beat the old arena, Chicago Stadium, Montreal Forum, uh, buildings like that. Do you still get jacked for a game or nervous for a game when you've done it this many times? I've always said hockey play-by-play has to be the hardest, not just the pace, but there's shift. It's not a guy comes up to bat, a guy jumps over the boards, and he's back on the other side 20 seconds later. And then the names on top of it, I mean, it's – it's got to be a little stressful. Well, I think the biggest thing is you have to stay on top of it, Martin. Just like any business you're in, you have to be passionate. So when I'm not at a game, broadcasting a game, uh, like last night I'm at home watching games and watching hockey and reading about hockey. So it has to be not only your job but also your your passion. So, you know, I think I know the players. And the biggest challenge to me is when you play a team that you don't see that often from the East – and they might not be a star-laden team. So those are the games that you have to probably do a little bit more homework on and study the names. And I always try to watch um, the Blues opponent before they play the Blues. In other words, a game or two before. So, you know, you familiarize yourself with the the numbers, the names again. Maybe there are some new players, uh, the injuries, things like that, the storylines of the team. Um, But, you know, to answer your question, when the puck drops – you, you, get a, you get excited, and you, there's a thrill and because you just never know what's going to happen in that particular game, aside from the fact that you want your team to do well and I want the Blues to win. But there's always that element of what's going to happen in this game. For example, a couple of weeks ago when the Blues came back with three goals in the third period um, to beat the Florida Panthers, it was an exciting game, and only the third time in their history they had scored three in the third to win a game in, in, in overtime um, in a comeback fashion like that. How hard is it to have chemistry when hangers down on the ice? I mean, I love it. From the vantage point for the, the fan is great, but I would think as a broadcast partner, usually you can kind of look to the guy next to you like he's about to talk or he knows when to chime in. You guys have to have chemistry even though you're 100 feet apart. Yeah, but, you know, Darren is such a skilled broadcaster, such a great broadcaster, and now we've been together for about 14 years. So, 
you know, I, we were together in the booth for a few years, and we still are because on the road he isn't between the benches on most nights. So, you know, Darren has an ability. He knows when I'm going to pause or he knows when I need to take a breath. So he'll, he'll jump in. And if you listen, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm proud of this. We rarely step on each other. It's going to happen periodically, Martin, but I think we rarely step on each other, which is good. So, again, he knows when I need a break, and I know when he's going to stop and I need to pick up, you know, my play-by-play. If you're at the grocery store, do people ever walk by and say, thank you, thank you, thank you? Do you get that from people every once in a while? And how did that start? Not really. I don't really use that catchphrase anymore. It's kind of gone away, right? Yeah, I don't know why. You know, I Come really... on, John. We miss it. Uh, okay. Well, I started it actually with the Blues the first time I was here on a goal scored by Brett Hall in overtime against Chicago. And then I used it all the time in Colorado when I was there for nine years. And then I came back here. And when I came back here in 04, they had the lockout and then... The Blues, you know, were, were, didn't have a good season. They, were, they had a bad season. They were last overall. So there wasn't a lot of excitement, and I just sort of got away from it. So um, I've tried to use other phrases and things like that. I try to mix it up, but, it, you know, it's still in the back of my mind at times. When you came back, Ken Wilson left. It was kind of ugly on his part. Was that awkward at all? Or you were a well-known name, so, I mean, everybody was excited you were coming back. Was that awkward for you or no? It wasn't awkward in that sense, Um you know, he he was relieved of his job and they needed an announcer. You know, he he didn't get he didn't lose his job because of John Kelly. He lost his job for other reasons. And then they needed an announcer. And my contract happened to be up with Colorado. Um, Fox Sports Rocky Mountains deal happened to be up with the Avalanche and Cronky started his own network. So it was very complicated. And the Blues reached out and, you know, I had young kids at the time and, and things like that. So it really, it worked out. It, uh, it worked itself out. Uh, it wasn't awkward at all. It was, a, it was a little bit awkward in the sense I remember the first time walking back into the locker room with the Blues. I had been with Colorado for nine years, Martin, and that team was really good and had a lot of great success. Against the Blues. Against <laughs> the Blues. They, they beat them in the third round in 01. And I, I just felt almost like... A stranger in the locker room even though I grew up in St. Louis had worked for the Blues my dad had worked for the Blues um, so after a couple of weeks I got over that feeling but it was a little bit strange in that sense to come back to St. Louis after being away for 12 years and we always talked about hey will they ever win the cup are they going to win the cup and then they're in the cup finals but you're not part of it we talk about it every year the play-by-play guys and it happens the McLaughlin and the Cardinals that get to the postseason hey where'd our guys go and in hockey at least you get to do a round or two what did it mean to you to be in the booth? And I know Chris Kerber reached out. What did that mean to be a part of that cup run? It meant a lot. And quite honestly, I was surprised. Chris came up to me after game six of the Western Finals when the Blues beat San Jose. My wife and kids were with me. We were actually in one of the clubs, and they brought in the, the championship trophy for the Western Conference. We were taking pictures, and Chris came up and said, I want you to do a period in the final for every game. And I said, no, Chris, that's not my position. You know, it's your job, and, you know, you've worked so hard for this. And he said, John, it's not really a question. I'm I'm saying you're going to do it. Um, he was demanding it. So when he put it that way, it was so gracious um, of Chris to, to offer me that. I mean, who knows, hypothetically, Martin, in Game 7, uh, there could have been one goal scored in the second period, and I would have called it, and that would have been the Stanley Cup clinching goal, and Chris wouldn't have had a chance to call it. But, you know, he was very unselfish. It was unprecedented, and it meant a lot. And obviously, the connection between the Blues and Bruins goes back to 1970 
when my father called Bobby Orr's goal against the Blues in the final, and that was the last time the Blues were in the final, was that game and that goal. And then I got a chance to sort of pick up the story, if you will, in 2019, and thankfully it ended the right way this time. Isn't it amazing? These fans, I think, they'd still be loyal. They'd still be coming out, but like they, they deserved it so much. And I said at the time, the Cardinals have won a ton. Even the Rams managed to win in a short time they were here. I just felt like the Blues fan base desperately – I know they want another one now, but that was so overdue. And that's why it was really emotional even, I think, being there that night for me. And I don't get that emotion. I'm like, this fan base deserved this so much. Yeah, that, that's who I was happiest for, um, the people that have been so loyal for so many years. And, you, you know, you think about uh, some of the great players they've had and the great teams and, and how close they were, even though they didn't win a game in the final – in the first three years, they had really good teams under Scotty Bowman. And then in 86, they they go to the third round, lose in game seven in Calgary, um, other overtime heartbreaks. Um, they had some bad teams as well. But, you know, you think about the fans, Martin, that went to all those games or a lot of those games. And, you know, after the game, they, they go out to their car on a 10-degree night at the arena and wait in traffic to go home. I mean, these fans have been so loyal for so many years and I really think every fan base should experience a championship and it's obviously it hasn't happened because there are still some NHL teams that have never won a championship and there are some perhaps football teams and baseball teams that haven't as well but to me every fan base should experience what Blues fans experienced back in 2019. Yeah I was thinking when that happened there are fans who when I was in high school you'd be leaving the arena fans are walking to schmeezing chanting Secord sucks and I think the game's right. been over for now I'm like there are some fans who have been going for so many years, and then also the former players, too, like the Federicos, who had been around the organization. They didn't get to Chaser and these guys who wanted it for the city. That's the other group, too, I was happy for. Yeah, and probably the, the biggest name in, in that area would be Bobby Plager. And thank goodness Bobby got to witness that. I mean, he always said, I just want to, I want a parade. And um, he got his parade. And then, of course, he passed away um, a short time ago. So... I think of all the ex-players, I was happiest for, for Bobby Plager because of what he meant to the organization and his late brother Barkley and, you know, Billy also passed away a few years ago. The Plagers, to me, are the St. Louis Blues. And so Bobby got to experience that and he got to ride in that parade. So aside from the fans, I think I was happiest for Bobby. Has there ever been a sport you wanted to do? We talked about your dad doing all these different ones. Did did John Kelly ever say, oh, man, I wouldn't mind calling a basketball game or a curling event? Or... Um, you know, I, I called a lot of basketball in college and, and when I first got a job in Kansas for, for a few months. But my, my dream job would be to go, be a hockey announcer in the winter and a golf announcer in the summer. I love the game of golf. Um, but unfortunately, as you know, Martin, the only jobs – that are available to broadcast golf are network jobs. And those jobs basically are you know, nine months a year. Even if I was skilled enough and lucky enough to get one of those jobs, it just wouldn't work. But I would love, I would love to announce golf. John, fun to catch up. I've been wanting to do that. I was starting to reach out to John. Then they went through the losing streak. I said, all right, let's wait. Let's, let's figure the right time. So now I get to say to you, thank you, thank you, thank you. My pleasure, Martin, anytime. So overstated when we talk about a good guy in the uh, the sports world, not an athlete, but a broadcaster. And John Kelly, always gracious and 
I, I can't imagine. I've always fan. I think every TV sports guy fancies himself a play-by-play guy, whether it's doing football, baseball, basketball. But I don't think too many of us believe we could do hockey. <laughs> I just, I just don't think it's possible. And Bob Costas has a great story. He's probably told it a million times. When he got hired in St. Louis at KMOX Radio, he had to send a tape, and he had been doing Syracuse hockey. And he admitted he just he didn't know any of the players. So he just picked like one or two guys that, whose names he could pronounce who you know couldn't follow the puck, and he just started mentioning the same guys over and over, and they had like the game of their lives. Because it's impossible to keep track. Think about a, a hockey shift. Was it, you know, 20 seconds here, 25 seconds, and then there's a new guy. Here comes the next guy. Who's on the ice? How in the hell do you even know who's on the ice? I've thought that many times. So we appreciate John checking in with us. Kilcoin Conversation, as always, coming to you from the Pasta House Studios. Talked all about their fresh menu. Check it out for yourself. Sundays, kids eat free. Every kid with an adult eats for free. They got the football games going. I was there on a Saturday. They had the basketball game going, slew basketball. Always a lot of sports on the TVs. Fun family hangout. Check out our friends at the Pasta House. B&G Tuck Pointing, the best in the bricks. BGTuckPointing.com is their website. Whether it's tuck pointing, waterproofing, foundation repair, they do all of it. At one spot, call 363-0525. My guy, Rich Galati, will give you a free estimate. You know what it's like if you've got a brick home, brick business, garage, chimney, and it's falling apart. Got to make it look new again. Call the folks at B&G Tuck Morning, 363-0525. Appliance discounters for all your appliance needs. The lowest prices on the biggest names in the appliance world. That's what they're all about. TheAppliancedisCounters.com. I mention GE all the time. General Electric because they have great merchandise and a lot of rebates out there. Just put it into the search engine at TheAppliancedisCounters.com. GE, General Electric. Look for the rebates. Everything you need in the appliance world. One spot at AppliancedisCounters.com. Marita Villa Senior Living. Check out the new tree that's been put up. Beautiful. Clayton and Wideman Road, just absolutely beautiful. Christmas decorations, just the holiday feel that you get driving by there. It's worth it. And MarieDeVilla.com for a virtual tour, whether it's mom, dad, grandparents, aunt, uncle, ready for that retirement living, check out MarieDeVilla.com. And Triad Bank, longtime sponsor of all of our segments, really is the neighborhood-friendly bank. If you're tired of the runaround at your bank, or they're just rude all the time, stop by and see my friends at Triad Bank. That'll do it for the Kilcoin Conversation. Thanks for checking in. I'm Martin Kilcoin. We'll talk to you again soon.